Well, uh, why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me, uh, since we're in the Proverbs, turn with me to Proverbs 15. Uh, one of the things that uh, one of the things that I love about um, old school NFL is it just was it was a different game. It was a different kind of pe- person. Um, not all the drama. I don't know if you're following some of the NFL drama this year, but uh, it's just enough to remind me why I don't miss it that much. Now that I, you know, I'm a pastor, I, w- I work on Sundays, you know, so I don't watch a lot of games. Uh, I used to when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, like, I love this story. You know, this is a Green Bay Packers story, actually. Uh, the old legendary coach, uh, Vince Lombardi, one of the players of those earlier um, world championship teams. Uh, offensive lineman Jerry Kramer recalled this story about uh, Vince Lombardi, and here's what he said. One day, during the first year I played for him, he rode me unmercifully, pointing out how slow I was, how weak I was, how stupid I was, and he convinced me. By the time I dragged myself into the locker room, I suspected I was the worst guard in the NFL history. I sat in front of my locker room, uh, locker, head down, contemplating quitting, when Lombardi came up behind me, mussed up my hair and said, son, one of these days, you're gonna be the greatest guard in the league. Suddenly, I was 10 feet tall, ready to do anything for him. You know, it's interesting how the tongue has an awesome power, Um, you know, you can, put someone down and put them into a small puddle in the ground, or you can make them feel 10 feet tall just by the words of our mouths. And especially of those of us that are, you know, in, in, um, in leadership roles, whether it's, uh, you know, you're the CEO or the manager or the husband or the father, you know, what we say with our mouths. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. We've been talking a lot about this in, in the Proverbs as we've been going through because it's a major theme in the book. One of the things that I struggle with on these ironworks is there's a lot of topics. Um, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not plagued like so many pastors that have to come up with interesting topics each week. Um, and the reason I don't have to do that is because I go verse by verse through the Bible. I know what my outline is for the next, you know, however long till I die. Uh, I've got my outline laid out right here for me. So it's really no big deal. Every weekend I know, well, I'm in, you know, Proverbs chapter 16 and, and we'll be in chapter 17. I, it's really kind of cool as far as Sundays go. But then ironwork, suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm facing topical studies. And so I, I wrestle with it. Kind of, okay, what, Lord, what do you want the guys to go over? I had three topics I was juggling uh, about this this week, and that's why I didn't announce it before. Hey, this week we're talking about, it's because I hadn't really landed, and I, I'd been kind of working on these three topics. One was starting to kind of pop out, but I was like, ah, and I was thinking this idea of what we talk about in our speech. I was like, man, we've been talking about that a lot in Proverbs. Lord, you don't want me to talk about that. The guy's already got that down. And so I was, I, I was with one of my buddies yesterday, and, and I thought, I'll just ask him what he thinks. I said, if, uh, if you had to nail down, like, what's the greatest thing that men need to learn and wrestle with, uh, you know, from the scriptures. Uh, What do you think? And without even a tiny little pause, he said, our speech, what we say with our mouths to each other, to our wives, to our family. Like he, he didn't even take a tiny pause and and he just said, that's it. I was like, okay, Lord, I got it. Uh, That's, that's what we need. So guys, uh, that's what we need to talk about today. Man talk. You know, as men, uh, how are we doing with our speech? And, and there's a lot here. Um, and, and I'm not even really talking about, you know, cussing and swearing like a sailor and stuff like that. Uh, we've talked about that. That's something that we've, you know, a lot of guys in modern times, we think, you know, 
cussing, swearing. I can do that and still be a Christian. Paul used coarse language. I've heard that argument now. That's just dumb. If you're a guy that's defending your cussing and swearing by uh, the Bible, uh, you need to get a, 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 a better grip on what the Bible actually says. Um, and so don't, don't, let's not play that game. But what we do need to think about is how are we using our speech and our talk? Um, is it for good or for evil? You know, power and life comes from your tongue. The Bible talks about how our mouth, God created the heavens and the earth by speaking the worlds into existence. I mean, the power that's there in God is uh, beyond what we could even imagine or think. I mean, speaking atomic energy just into existence, that's what God did. Uh, you know, let there be light, there's the sun. Try that on, uh, try to do that one sometime, a ball of mass uh, of, uh, that's burning at feverish you know, heat levels. Um, you know, God has the power in his own mouth, but we were created in his image. And I wonder if we fully appreciate the power that we have in our mouth. Now, the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, you know, televangelist guys of the 80s took this to a weird level. Man, just speak it forth with your mouth and believe God. And, you know, if you speak the Maserati, there it will be. Uh, that's just dumb as well. Uh, that's not, you need to get a better grip on, on what the Bible says. However, there is something to the, the words that we speak, and we can speak blessing or we can speak cursing on any given situation. And what flows out of you in your mouth will often flow right back to you. If you're cursing others, then you're going to be cursed. If you're blessing others, you're going to be blessed. And that's something the Bible shows kind of cover to cover. And, uh, and our speech is, is one of those big, big things that we have to kind of think about. Jesus actually laid it out there for us um, pretty radically. Let me just read it to you. Stay there in Proverbs, but I want you just to listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 12, verses 30, uh, 34 through 37. It says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man of good treasure has the, uh, of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. Now, this is, this is powerful, um, and a lot, of, a lot of stuff we could talk about on this one. Um, this could be a very scary scripture. If, if every idle word, it's not even just bad words Jesus is saying is gonna, he's going to hold you to. It's just idle words, or words that are neutral, waste of time words, saying stuff that don't really have any weight or purpose. Does anybody do that? Do we ever just sit around and talk about idle stuff? Um, but every idle word, and you say, well, then, man. And then it says, you know, Jesus said, by your words shalt thou be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And you think, man, who could be saved then? Who could go to heaven? Well, see, that's the thing. When Jesus says something like this, what you have to remember is imputed righteousness. Um, it's the words that you speak when you, uh, Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, when you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. So it's true, by your words, you'll be justified. It's the words of confession of faith that will justify you. And you get to go to heaven if you speak forth those words. 
But it's also by your own words, you'd be condemned if you reject Christ or you, you reject the plan of salvation of God, then you will be condemned. It's, it's, it's amazing that even our own salvation, while it's not any of our works, it's kind of interesting, words are involved out of your mouth, that confession with the mouth to believe in what Christ did on the cross, the completed work of salvation. So this, this is true both in salvation, but, but it, it makes me realize, some people might say, well, should we just continue using idle words and speak bad things since we're saved by grace? Well, that's where Paul says, should we continue sinning and let grace abound? God forbid, no. <clears throat> so this is, this is the, the indictment given against humanity. Man, idle words, perverse words, uh, words that condemn, those are things we should watch out for. It's not what God has for you and for me. So here in Proverbs, we have a, a sort of a plethora of verses, and all really throughout the Bible. But there's, there's and I could probably show you 50 things uh, or more in the Bible that, about words that we speak. But as men, since the ladies aren't here today, there's a few, maybe six, maybe five uh, of things that I, I, I want to cover with you this morning because I see a problem within me and within us as men today, um, and we, we mess this up with our words. And so the first one I'm gonna camp out on is number one, rough speech. Rough speech. Um, as men today, we are given to just speaking roughly with one another, with our wives, with our children, with, with uh, people that we work with. It's just kind of what we do, speaking roughly uh, with one another. Um, you know, and, and, and man, that's, this could contain all kinds of things, coarse, you know, language, jesting, even joking, you know, with, with stuff that's just perverse and laughing at stuff that's perverted. Um, what are we, Brett? You know, Mother Teresa? Uh, I work with guys that tell dirty jokes. What am I supposed to do? Wear my halo and, and not laugh? Well, see, that's an interesting place, but what would Jesus do? If Jesus were at your job place, what would he do? And that's really should be our goal, shouldn't it? Um, I, I love seeing men who learned how to artfully turn the conversation away from something that's perverse. I watched my dad do this. I watched my pastor do that. Um, I watched my, some of my buddies over the years. There's, there's some guys I've watched that were able to artfully take a conversation that was going south real fast. Um, and when I say south, you know, toward hell. Uh, and then they turned it around. I'll never forget when I went skydiving with my pastor, you know, I was, I was just playing a joke on him. As you, I've told the story before, but the thing that I, I was a little worried about is when I got to that hangar where we were gonna, you know, do our class and all the skydiving dudes that were there were really rough individuals. I thought, oh no, I brought my pastor to this place where there's naked ladies on the hangar wall, you know, pictures and these guys cussing and swearing. I'm like, oh no, you know, my, my pastor, what's he gonna do being in this horribly uh, kind of sinful group of guys? And you know what was so cool? Is they started out saying the stuff and doing their normal thing. But the cool thing was, is uh, I watched him change the course of the day. By the end of the day, after we'd already jumped and gathered up our chute, almost got yanked off the back of the truck, that whole story. Um, but when we got back to the hangar, by the end of the day, all those guys were standing around my pastor hearing about the scriptures. And he was just telling them about the Bible and they were all intently listening and very interested in what the Bible actually had to say. And by the end of the day, we walked out of there. Those guys were, were blessed. They were changed. He changed the narrative to talk, from talking about girls 
and their bodies and uh, all kinds of other stuff that, you know, men of, of God should not be a part of. And it tur- he turned it around. He was the hammer, they were the nail. In any conversation, you will be the hammer or you will be the nail. That's just the question. What are you going to do? Um, one does the influencing, one is the one who's influenced. It's always interesting when I see people use the excuse because they hang out with a bunch of sinful people. Hey man, I'm just being like Jesus. Jesus was the friend of publicans and sinners. Yeah, but you also have to realize Jesus, when he hung out with sinners, he wasn't engaging in their sin. He wasn't participating. They changed. When Jesus was in the room, they changed. It was that Pharisee that saw the woman who was a prostitute at Jesus's feet. And Jesus said, or you know, the Pharisee said, well, if this guy's really a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is. My question is, how did that Pharisee know what manner of woman that was? Um, but he was being critical of Jesus, you know, and, and Jesus, he's the one who turned the prostitute into a, a, a woman who loved Christ and loved God. Hammer or the nail, that's up to you. What are you going to do? And our speech is what steers that. It's what you say, and it's what we say in a group of guys that can change the course. And, and if you just go into it glibly or naively, you're going to be blown off course. If we just go into it without, without our guard up, you're, you're just going to get in, you're going to get sucked in. It's, there's a, there's a, a strong vacuum where, you know, guys get to talking about stuff, and it just, it's either going to suck you in or you're going to change the course of, of the conversation. And for some of you, this might be brand new, but this is where you have to kind of think ahead and come up with a little bit of a game plan. Okay, if they go there, what, what should I say? What do I think? Maybe on your way to work, pray about it. Lord, give me wisdom to be able to turn the conversations in a better direction. Um, my daughter, Casey, uh, she's in kind of a new world as she's teaching fourth grade. And uh, it's always interesting because, you know, uh, you know, my, I, I tried to make sure my kids grew up uh, in, in kind of the, uh, not a socially isolated situation. They all went to public school and, you know, and they've done really well with that. And, and I love that my kids can kind of talk to anyone. And Casey's that way too. But she said, Dad, man, these elementary school teachers, some of the people that, you know, that I, I work with, man, these, these ladies, like locker room talk, man. And, uh, and, and, and I asked her how that's going. And she says, well, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to change the conversation. So here's the newbie teacher fresh out of, you know, her master's degree going into these teachers that have been teaching for all these years. And you know what's interesting? And this is what will happen to you. That to them, it's a victory. If they can suck Casey into the conversation, if they can get her to go out for drinks and party down after work with them, if they can get her to stumble and talk bad about the children that she's teaching like they're doing, then, then, then mission accomplished for them. It'll make themselves feel better about themselves. Same with you. If, if they know you're the Christian guy on the job site and they can make you get into it, man, that just makes them feel better about their sin, better about what they're talking about, the junk stuff and the, the sinful stuff. But you... You can, you can change that. You can make a difference. Let's, let's take a look at this. Proverbs, um, you know, 15, uh, verse uh, 1. Let's, let's go to this, back to our rough speech. Rough speech can be coarse jesting. It can be mean-spirited talk. It can be harsh words. Let's take a look. Proverbs 15, 1. This is one we looked at last Wednesday. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Anger. 
That's one of the things you and I have to be careful of as men. We, we, um, we don't know what it feels like. None of you guys know what it feels like to be a woman being talked to roughly by a man. Um, now, <laughs> some of you might know what it feels like to be talked to roughly by a guy that could totally take you, could punch you in the face and knock you out cold. Have you ever, have you ever been in a place where you suddenly feel vulnerable? Um, you know, some guys have felt that, that experience, you know, where you, you realize, man, this, you know, I better do what this guy says. Like you suddenly, most men never feel that. We never really get that thing where we feel intimidated or whatever. And, and, and because of that, we don't measure our words in how we say stuff. Has your wife ever told you, man, you're talking to me so mean. Hey, I'm talking the way I normally talk to everyone. Um, I've actually said that to my wife and, and my wife just said, Brett, you know better than that. And it's true. I remember, I remember uh, watching my dad. I've said this before, but I, you know, my dad, uh, tough as nails, guy that, you know, hardworking, contractor, construction. And he would come home and just treat my mother. Like I'd watch him on the job site and he'd just speak roughly. And guys, man, when my dad said something, they'd hop to it. You know, yes, sir. Pew. You know, I'd, 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 I remember I, I was working on a job site and you could hear my dad's nail bags jingling. He had a, a certain sound about his nail bags. And when those, that jingling of the nail bags, when you heard the guys, man, they were like, let's get busy. Here comes Todd. Like they were, they were afraid of him. Uh, and that's the truth. And he just, and, but, but he'd get home to my mom and he suddenly, he was like a cartoon. He was so kind and soft and gentle. You know, honey, would you, can I help you with this over here? Like, like my dad, Norm like, blah, 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 blah. and then I said, sweetie, would you like to, like suddenly, like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> what happened to my dad? See, my dad learned early that, um, that man, you're, you and I, as men, we need to be treating our wives, our, our, the sisters in the congregation, um, women. The Bible says that women are to be treated with real honor. And, um, you know, part of the reason, I, I'm not into this whole, you know, uh, male privilege thing. I think it's, it's something that's kind of stupid. But they do have some ammo that they could totally use to reinforce their points. And one of those bits of ammo is how we as men speak to women, especially our wives, maybe even our daughters. And, and here's what's happened in the culture. Because there used to be a day where, you know, men went on to the workforce, women were stay-at-home, you know, and, and uh, the stay-at-home mom, and the beaver-cleaver scenario. If, you, if you're old enough to remember those days, that was kind of the norm. But once women equally filled the workplace, Suddenly we're working and they want equality. And so what's, what's tricky for us as guys is women in the workplace. Now suddenly we, we, we were used to for centuries barking at each other at the workplace. And what's funny is you might've hurt my feeling once in 10 or 15 years, but you could bark at me all you want. I'm not gonna have my feelings hurt, but suddenly half the workforce now, you have to actually be really gentle. Um, they want equality, but they really don't because I've noticed that women are, tend to be a little more sensitive and especially as it relates to the way we speak. And so the truth is they're in the workplace and, and I've noticed a lot of guys have a problem shifting gears from the workplace to when they get home. That's what I watched my dad do is he would shift gears and he would treat my mother with a whole different, it was a whole nother level. And that's what you and I are called to do, is to treat our wives with great honor and to speak with kind, soft words. 
Soft words, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stirs up anger. And don't be shocked if you start talking to your wife with harsh words, and if she's not mad at you all the time and stirring up anger, and you're wondering, what's the deal? Why is she always mad at me? Could this be part of the problem? Where you need to shift gears and, and treat your wife with great honor and speak to her with great kindness. Or, or women in general, women in the church, um, or women in the workplace. It's what, it's what God calls us to do, soft answer. Look at Proverbs 15, verse four, just a few verses down. It says, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Gentle words are a tree of life, speaking gently. Now, it's not just with women, but it's with each other. I've noticed that men, sometimes because we're men, we feel like we can just talk to each other and say things and we say harsh things to one another, but that's also not really what the scriptures teach. So we're to, we're to use gentle words and a soft answer to turn away wrath. We just, as men, maybe need to really rethink our rough speech, the things we shouldn't be talking about and the way that we're speaking needs to change. Talking about rough topics and using rough words with a gruff attitude. And, and it's, it's something that, you know, I, I think with men we can talk to each other in a certain way, but, but at the same time being sensitive to what other guys are actually thinking. Um, you guys all know the guy that's the bull in a china shop, goes around just talking rah, 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 and it's, and it's like he just says stuff and it's hurtful and people, you know, uh, get their feelings hurt, men or women. Um, you and I are called to, to, to speak with a, with a softness and a, and a kindness. One of the things it says of Jesus, and that, now Jesus knew how to use hard, hard words, didn't he? Man, he called those Pharisees whitewashed tombs and they were open sepulchers. You hypocrites, he said. Now, he, you gotta, before you do that, you got to make sure you're as right as Jesus before you start calling people out. Like, Jesus had a righteous anger, and there is a place for that, don't get me wrong. But I found that I have a proclivity to move to that really fast. Those, those harsh words, and, and I, I up the temperature really quickly in my conversations. Man, I'm trying to just keep that down because uh, I can't claim righteous anger like Jesus was able to claim. But you know, even with all those words that Jesus said to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, even with all those words, the one thing that was said of Jesus' speech is everybody marveled at what? Anybody? His gracious words. That's what everybody marveled about. Man, when Jesus talks, he's just gracious. Wouldn't that be something if, if, if you and I made that our goal, to, to be the, the guy that's at the job site that has the most gracious words? Or when your wife and your kids see you, think, man, dad is just so gracious in his words. You see, some of us were raised with a father who had a really harsh word. And you got that picture of what a harsh, what a dad looked like. So you think, well, dads are supposed to be harsh. And I'm supposed to whip them into shape. And, and again, there's a place and a time for, for, you know, that firmness. Don't get me wrong. But, but I think most of us have to pull back from that a little bit and start saying, how can I find place to be more gracious and get rid of this rough talk? 
Because as men, we almost feel like we have a license. Because we're men, we can just kind of talk roughly to people and say what's on our mind, give people a piece of our mind. But um, don't do that. You don't have enough of your mind to give, trust me. Keep that. And maybe keep it to ourselves. So rough speech, man, that's one of the, one of the pitfalls uh, of, of being a, of a guy. It's just that we tend to, to go that direction. I tend to do that. And man, we got to fight against that sinful human nature of us to be coarse in stirring up anger. And, and instead, gentle words, a soft answer. You know, uh, we read just last week, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words. Number two, not only rough speech, but another thing that I, I've noticed with guys that we tend to uh, be sort of apathetic about or sort of lack even a sensitivity toward is timely speech. Timely speech, that's number two. First, rough speech. Secondly, timely speech. It's, it's not just what you say, but it's when you say it. And this is an interesting one uh, because I don't think we think much about that. Look at Proverbs 15, 23. It says in verse 23 here, it says, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. There's a timing that's involved here. Something that's really good is when a man knows when to speak and when not to speak. It's a timing thing. Now, the reason I mentioned apathy is I think a lot of times we miss opportunities because of, well, what's the reason? Laziness? Have you ever been in a situation where you know you, it's, oh man, I, I probably should speak up here, but I'm not going to. You just make that decision not to speak up, even though you know you should be speaking up. Even though, have you ever got that place in your, in your heart where you, you know, you're there in a situation, maybe guys are talking at work or something? And there's something that's brought up and you know you're supposed to say something that's right and true. And, and you know it. Have you ever got to that place where your heart starts beating just a little more? You're like, oh man, I, I, I got to say something here. But you choose not to. There's, there's sort of an apathy that, that, you know, the window's open, the Lord's teed it up for you, and now it's time to speak truth. And you're like, I'm not going to do it. And that's the easier path to just say nothing. I've seen this with parents, you know, kids, kids that come up and have a question for dad and dad's too tired to answer the question because, well, I don't know if I know the answer. But there's a, a timely uh, response that your kids need. And if you don't speak it out, you're gonna miss the window of opportunity. Timely speech. Man, it's, it's, just, it's just something that the Bible actually kind of teaches us to do. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, not being passive, especially as it relates to missed opportunities to speak into your, your family's lives or your friends' lives. <clears throat> A lot of guys are just afraid to go there. Some guy will come up to you at work and say, man, I'm just really struggling. My wife's just such a pain. And suddenly you've got, you've got to decide, am I going to, just go, hmm, that's too bad. Well, whatever. And walk away? Or is that an opportunity after work to say, let's, let's grab a, a cup of coffee or let's, let's after work, let's, let's you know, uh, jump in my truck. We'll go grab a bite to eat. And, and, and you've got an opportunity when this guy opens the door and says, my wife's a total jerk. 
you can, you can speak into that and, and start using that opportunity to point them to Christ. Um, missed opportunities in our speech, and, and it's because of laziness or even fear, because we don't want to go there with somebody. We don't want to talk about something. And, and you might say, well, Brett, that's, that's your job. You're the pastor. You counsel people about marriage. Nope. Don't you know that you're all ordained ministers? If you're a Christian here, the Lord says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You're a chosen person to serve the Lord. And the truth is, you guys can get into places I can't. You know, there's only so many people that will actually step foot in a church, but a lot of the guys you work with and people you know in your neighborhood, they wouldn't set foot in a church if it killed them. They wouldn't do it because they're afraid that lightning bolts will strike if they walk into a church or something like that. Do you guys have friends like that? Um, man, so you're the first, you're the front lines, man. And when that guy says, man, this and this and this, he, this it, the, watch for those times where the Lord wants you to speak a word like the Proverbs said, the word that's fitly spoken at the right time, the right place, and being sensitive to that. I, I fear that too many guys miss huge opportunities to use their speech for life. So much of what we say is just for death. We say complaining and griping and murmuring and grumbling. We, you know, we do all this stuff. <clears throat> but why wouldn't we choose to use our mouths and our words to edify and to build each other up? That's what the Bible tells us to do with our mouths. And, and that's one thing that I, I would love for us to step back and say, Lord, am I, am I using my mouth the, one of the, the greatest fears, they say, is be, speaking publicly. And it's funny because I still am horrified every time I get up here, and I've been doing this for a long time. Um, you, you don't believe me, Brett, you're comfortable up there. You're always just up there comfortable. Talk, but it's just not true. I've learned to cover it up. That's, that's the truth. My wife, she's the one who knows it more than anybody. Because, man, I sweat bullets before every Sunday, every Saturday night, every iron works. I'm just sweating bullets. Lord, what am I going to say to the guys? I'm going to be an idiot talking there in front of them. Well, that part's true. And the guys are used to that, Brett, the Lord says. But, but the truth is, um, the, the fear of speaking, I think, is one of the things that, that keeps us back from actually just doing it. You know what's the best part about doing what I do is um, I'm horrified the whole time. I've learned to cover it up. But as, as, and you guys know this to be true too, as you start speaking the truth, Pretty soon, the Lord starts kind of helping you with the words. It's almost like you got to be like the priests that put their foot in the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant, and you got to go down to your ankles and then down to your knees and get a little deeper into it, and then the Lord parts the water so that they can walk through. Some of you have to do that with your speech. But I don't know what I'm supposed to say to that guy. What am I supposed to talk about the Bible and the Word or Scripture? Or, I don't know anything. Get your feet in there and just start walking. And that's the fun part because that's one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I get so tired of everybody getting all hung up on tongues and prophecy. Oh, tongues and prophecy. Do you speak in tongues? Are you saved? Tongues, tongues, tongues. Paul diminished the whole thing. I'd rather you speak words of understanding. I speak in tongues more than you all, Paul said. But what he was saying there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is one of the manifestations, tongues gets all the press. Prophecy is a you know, second tier. But one of the ones that nobody talks about is a word of knowledge where the Holy Spirit can come upon a man and give you a word of knowledge to speak into someone's life. 
And that's, that's one of the most beautiful, and by the way, that's what a word of prophecy also is. You know, um, in the Old Testament, prophets would tell the future and stuff like that. New Testament prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14, says it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person to speak to a, a person or a group of people three things, exhortation, edification, or a word of comfort by the Lord through your mouth. Have you ever felt that where the Holy Spirit just comes upon you and you speak a word of encouragement to someone and they really receive it and it like really strikes them in a way that's kind of more than just yourself? That's the Holy Spirit doing that. See, I love the, the, the Holy Spirit's working, not the ones that we hype up and gyrate and flop on the floor and swing from the chandeliers. I love how the Holy Spirit is supernaturally natural. It's a power that comes off very naturally. It's not the gyration and the weirdness. It's the Holy Spirit coming on a person for practical and powerful purposes. And so when, when, when it comes time for you to open your mouth and speak into someone's life, Man, that's where you have to lean on the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you just fill me up with your spirit? Use me and speak a word through me. And you know what? That's where I, honestly, that's where I see the power of the Holy Spirit mostly moving through me personally is when I'm willing to open my mouth in faith and start speaking about something that I'm not sure I'm really that smart about, but then the Lord starts to fill in those gaps and speaks into people's lives exactingly. And see, that's what you, you could enjoy should you risk it. A, a, a word that's timely. So many dads miss the opportunity when, when they see what their kids are going through. And they go, ah, someday I better deal with that. I noticed Junior, he's hanging out with some guys that are probably not the best influence on him. I, someday, when I get an opportunity or chance, I should probably talk to him about that. But that's the thing I see the most is dads missing those opportunities. They, they sense it. They feel it. They know their son's going just one degree off course. Ah, oh, we'll get to that at some point when I have time, when I'm not so tired from work. But a timely word. D dads, do you have a, a sense of where your family's at? You see, for me, every single family dinner was a chance for me to take the one degree off course and try to put it back on course. Sad thing, we, we are uh, actually not even doing family dinner anymore. I, I read a, a, an article this morning. Um, this is off the Drudge Report, I found it. Um, but a, an article about a study. Um, one third of families sit in silence while eating dinner, shock survey reveals. According to a new survey of 2,500 parents, one third of families sit in complete silence during mealtimes. It seems that many parents don't just know, they don't know what to talk about with their kids. Three in 10 respondents said they struggle to come up with dinnertime conversation topics. Just sitting down at dinner table together as a family is a struggle for many as well. The survey um, found that four in 10 parents don't even eat dinner at the same time for their children on most days. Additionally, one in 10 never eat dinner at the same time as their families. <clears throat> all in all, only one-fifth of the respondents reported eating dinner with their family every night of the week. Um, to get the most of family mealtimes, this is a, a, a psychologist, Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, um, 
uh, to get the most out of family mealtimes, the table needs to be filled with happy noise of conversation, chat, and laughter. The more we engage, the closer and more connected we feel with each other. <clears throat> and children need to be a part of this, and it's a vital part of developing their social skills. There's something truly wonderful about happy sounds produced by the family meal. This, this is true. Rarely do I agree with some of these psychologists, but this, this woman gets it right. One of my favorite things as a dad was to sit around with the family table at the end of a day and just talk to my kids. And, and you have to be creative. It's easier to sit around and eat your food and <clears throat> be like the Von Trapp family. You know, remember Captain Von Trapp? You just didn't say a thing. Just eat, be quiet, don't say a word. <clears throat> but that's, that's, that's a waste of time. You, you know, this is a chance for you to kind of get to know what's going on in the family. Hey, tell us about school. One of my favorite things was to ask a single question. <clears throat> and this took time. I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe my kids thought it was just me off the top of my head, but literally on my way home from work, I'd be thinking, I want to ask the kids a question tonight. What question? And you got to ask a loaded question that's not going to be a yes or no response. But I like to kind of come up with just crazy stuff. Kids today at school, what was the, the, just the, the part that just made you bored out of your mind? What was the most boring part of your day? And, you, you know, the kids would sit and think. And I think my kids, it got to be a thing where they really wanted to think about it and say something of, you know, substance or say something that would spark conversation because it got to be fun. We, we would start talking about stuff. You know, and sometimes uh, one of my kids, uh, I won't tell you which one he was, would say, um, <laughs> usually say something funny and get our, our family laughing or something. But, but man, those were good times, having the kids around the table. You know, and, and I could also say, so who did you talk to the most today? Oh, that's an insightful uh, question to ask you. Which one of the students your kids go to school with, who did you probably talk to the most? Oh, who's so-and-so? Do you know about, what, who are they? Tell us about your friend uh, and get to know who your kids are hanging out with. Um, there's so much that you can do to redeem the time. The Bible says, redeem the time for the days we live in are evil. And man, so many missed opportunities to use your speech with your family to speak into their lives. So you ask the, the powerful loaded question, you hear where your kids are at, and that's where you start formulating a little word from the Lord for your kids. You know, and you could talk about, if, if Junior's hanging out with a kid that's, that's not really a good influence, you could talk about, well, what do you think about hanging out with people that are gonna, gonna be influencing you to do stuff that's not right, to think wrongly, to act wrongly? How do you avoid that? Do you, should you never hang out with that guy? Or do you hang out with them and be really careful? Or do you have the hammer and the nail conversation? My dad used to have those conversations with Brett. You know, you don't, don't be the hammer, or don't be the nail, be the hammer. Uh, my dad would say, Brett, don't let a, uh, Satan get a handle on you. Brett, watch out for number 69. There's a story in that, that that's uh, about a football player I played against. He had these little sayings just to remind me of, and a lot of that stuff was developed at the dinner table when we were actually learning about life. My dad would speak a word into our, into our lives. This is so important. And so, you know, a, a timely speech, not being passive toward your kids. By the way, this uh, article goes on. It's pretty tragic because it says the survey revealed when families sit down together for a meal, there's no shortage of distractions. More than one in five respondents admitted they would rather watch TV 
that interact with their family. 44% they usually stare at their phones while eating. Um, now, Dad, if your family gets around the dinner table and your family's staring at the phones, um, that's just a no-brainer. Come on. Can I give a splash of cold water on you t t today? Uh, check the phones at the door, man. Uh, it's like when the old Western days when they made you check your guns in before you go into the saloon. Uh, tell your family, that box, that's where the phones go at dinner time. And, and, and man, start interacting and engaging. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about this. That, you know, everybody's concerned about this. Doctors are saying that we're, we're growing little hooks in our bones because we look down at our phones so much. Like we're, we're changing uh, because of the way we spend our time on our phones. But that was 44% that was usually stare at their phones during dinner. Still, a third of the families surveyed are still talking around the dinner table. And we, here's the things they talk about. Weekend plans, what was the most um, uh, commonly reported topic of conversation in this study was um, school gossip, things that were going on at school, but it was gossip stuff. Um, also, they talk about 43% would talk about the meal being eaten, homework, 37%, popular TV shows, 37%. Those were the top topics of discussion. And that might be fine to a degree, but, but dads, Fathers, husbands, you guys can steer the conversation into stuff that's weighty. And don't miss the timely speech opportunity. Um, <clears throat> this doctor said there's evidence showing that stimulating conversation at mealtimes builds children's confidence and self-esteem and in turn actually boosts, boosts academic performance. In fact, they're beneficial to the whole family mental well-being for a time for everyone to unload. It's a good idea to try to make them part of your weekly routine. Now, I understand that some of you have schedules and family stuff that you can't do family meal every night, or, or, but try to do it some of the nights, some of the time. Maybe it's a family breakfast that you need to do, uh, even if it's at 6 a.m., but something to pray about. Don't miss the opportunities. Timely speech. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, Proverbs 15, 23, but a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So number one, rough speech. We gotta soften it up. We gotta change our, our demeanor when we talk to, to not stir up anger and, and stir up wrath. Timely speech, a word fitly spoken at the right time, at the right place. Um, number three, watch out for wasteful speech or unnecessary speech. Proverbs 17, flip the page there. Proverbs 17, 27, it says, a man, use, uh, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of understanding is even-tempered. Look at Proverbs 7, 17, 28, the next verse there. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. So while I'm trying to encourage you to use timely speech at the right time at the right moment, the Bible also encourages us to restrain ourselves and not just be speaking all the time and filling dead airspace. That, that we need to be that man that's wise and uses our words sparingly. Now, some of you guys are already those guys. And if you're always, already that guy that doesn't talk that much, great. But you're probably gonna have to press and lean forward a little bit on my last point about you know speaking at a timely opportunity. You're, that's gonna be your challenge. 
is to maybe press forward and speak when, when you don't feel like it. And you got to get out of that, of, uh, that tendency of yours to, to be quieter and not say anything to your family or to your friends or people at work. But the other side of the, court, uh, the coin is, is the guy that um, just doesn't come up for air. He's just a chatty Cathy, for lack of a better term. And we just love to talk and fill dead airspace, and we always have an answer for everything. You know that guy? Man, as soon as you bring up something, he takes over the conversation. Well, I did this, and I did that, and this is the way you do that. And everybody's like, oh, brother, here we go again. Nobody can get a word in edgewise because, you know, so-and-so, he's just going to tell a story. I broke my leg. Oh, yeah, I broke both my legs, and here's how I did it. It's like, you know, it's like that guy. You know that guy, and if you're that guy, you don't know you're that guy. That's the problem. <clears throat> so wasteful speech, unnecessary speech, man, this is something that I think the Bible tells us to watch out for. Slow to speak, quick to hear. That'd be a good thing. Some of us need to fo focus on that. Uh, number four, presumptive speech. This is one that I see as a plague, especially in the business world. There's a thing where we as people, and especially some men that I've noticed that, <clears throat> that like to say, say it like it's already a done deal. You know, to, to say, oh yeah, it's as good as done. And we talked a little bit this, about this on Wednesday night. Remember I talked about, you know, um, Deb and I closing a house deal. And uh, it's never closed until it's really closed. Oh no, it's a done deal, man. We've already signed the papers. It's not a done deal until it's a done deal. Um, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Um, and, and I see in business a lot of, yeah, this is a, this is a you know, for sure deal. And a lot of men that I've seen over the years in church have gotten into real trouble because they overpromised and underdelivered. And they were sure that it was going to happen. Oh, Brett, this is a sure thing. But it's never really sure. Man, I, I don't even know how to say this, but, but uh, this, if you're one of those guys, it's like, yeah, 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 this is what, yeah, um, it, it, watch out. Never say it's a done deal unless it really is a done deal. And then there's this propensity to sort of propensity for guys to sort of explain why it never really happened and think that it's still okay. What do you mean, Brett? Okay, so there's the business deal. Yeah, it's a done deal. Um, we're going to deliver it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be delivered. On, it's it's going to be there, you know, after tomorrow. You can count on it. It's a bank. Bank did this. It's good as done. Then it doesn't happen. And they call you up. Why did that? Well, uh, it's not my fault. It's the other guy, the guy that was our, our guy. They had a problem at their warehouse. So sorry, my, you know, it's not my fault. It's your fault because you said it was going to happen as if it was a done deal. And you, you're the one that's on the hook, not the supplier. I, I can't think of a better example, but I, I've seen this a million times <clears throat> where guys overpromise, underdeliver. It's as good as done. Um, but you know what? If you're the guy that kind of wrestles with that, don't be bummed. You're not alone. A lot of guys wrestle with that. And I think it's out of a good heart. I really do. I'm trying to give you a, sort of a soft uh, way to fall on this one. But basically, I think you just want to be the guy that gets it done. You're, you're, the, you're the person who, who really is optimistically thinking, man, this is going to happen. And we're going to make this happen. But just because you really want it to happen and you want that person to trust you and like you, that's going to be the very reason why they'll never trust you again. And pretty soon you won't be considered a person of your word. And it's this kind of speech where it's presumptive to say, I'm going to do this and it's as good as done, or I'm going to go over here and do that and the other thing. 
Um, let's flip over to the book of James, and many of you know this, but it's James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 13. <clears throat> In James 4, 13, um, this almost should go without saying, but uh, this is how radically the Bible puts it, what we're talking about there. James 4, 13, it says, Go to now that you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Did you hear what that is? Now, now the King James is kind of tricky on that one, but it's, it's saying this. Don't say, man, I'm going to go live over there for a year and we're going to earn some money and make a, we're going we're gonna to make a killing up there. I'm going I'm to earn a ton of money and I'm going to come back and we'll buy and sell for a year and we're going to get gain. And here James says, you don't know that. You could go up there and be killed, get run over by a log truck. Um, you can't say we're going to do this or that because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So what you ought to say, if the Lord will, if God wants this to happen, it's going to work out. But if not, it may not. But this is our intention. Here's what we're planning on doing. But there's a humility there. But to speak otherwise, it's evil boasting. That's what the Bible calls it. It's evil. It says it right here, verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. We're going to go do this or we're going to go do that. We're going to make that happen. It's as good as done. It's a done deal. That's just evil boasting. You're wanting people to be impressed by you by what you're able to do, and you're really hoping you're gonna do it. Your intentions are to do it, but it's not as good as done. What we as men need to ask ourselves, what is actually the truth? My dad used this term, only speak about what is. Brett, when you say this is, this is, or that is, I don't wanna know what might be. If you're gonna say uh, you know, something, make sure and tell me about what actually is but don't say what might be as if, it, as if it is a done deal. And man, this is a good word for all of us not to be presumptive. And this is a, a, a Bible truth that goes all throughout the scriptures. We're gonna go do this or that, the other thing. Nope, um, watch out for that presumptive speech. But lastly, um, today, I wanna just finish on this a good high note. You've got rough speech, watch out for that. Timely speech, engage in that. Look for opportunities to speak in a right time, you know, wasteful or unnecessary speech. Sometimes it's better just to be quiet. Presumptive speech, you know, promising, over-promising, under-delivering, and not being men of our word. But the last one, number five, godly speech. One of the things that kind of leans into the timely speech one and stuff like that is, is godly speech. And what does that look like? Well, you know, a godly man is going to speak certain things. Let me read to you from Ephesians 4, 29. It says this. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's how we started talking. Don't let corrupt this morning. Don't let corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. See, instead of speaking corrupt communication, the Bible says, no, instead, speak that which is good 
to the use of edifying. What does edify mean? Anybody? To build up. It's like Vince Lombardi tore him down, that, that offensive lineman. But then he said, someday you're going to be the best player in the NFL. That built him, built him up. The military does that. They, they tear you down, and then hopefully they build you back up. That's the plan. Whether they do it or not, I don't know. But I, I think that's, that can work. And, and one of the things I've noticed that dads and people, men tend to do is we get really good at tearing down part, but we forget to do the building back up part. And that's, that's something that we should be better at. You should be better at the edifying part and the gracious part than you are about the tearing down part. And, and again, if you didn't have a dad that was good at the building up part, it's time for you to break the cycle in your family and start building up your family. Um, why do we withhold compliments? Some of you guys will not compliment your wife because you don't want to give her the edge. You don't want to give it to her. There's this weird competition in your, in your mind that says, I, I'm better than she is, and she's always chiding me on this or is always mad at me about that. I'm not going to give her an, uh, you know, one inch. If you walk in and say, honey, boy, I just have to say, you know, the house, I noticed that when I got home today, the house is just so clean, and I know that's it's a lot of hard work, and you've done such an amazing job. Good job. I'm not going to say that. Because then she'll say, and now I'd like you to go clean the garage. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. It'll get me into trouble. Um, oh, but why wouldn't we take the time to edify, to build up our wives or your children? Kids need to be built up. And I'm not into the self-esteem movement. I think that's stupid. The Bible says esteem others better than yourself. We all, we all are so self-centered. We don't need more of that. But your kids do need to be encouraged and it's good from time to time just to look for those opportunities to speak into their lives a, a word of blessing. When you see your kids moving in a certain area of talent, say, you know, I really think you're gifted in that area. And I, I think you, you could do whatever you want as you grow up. And there's so many opportunities with that skill that you have. I think there's a lot of options that you have in your life because of that skill. Develop that. Keep it going because, man, you're, you've got a gift in that. Just speaking words, and, and not only in the family, but, but in the job site or, or at the workplace. You know, why wouldn't we employ our mouths to edify and speak words of grace? We all know we like to hear it. Why in the world don't we want to say it? And it's almost like we feel like we're giving ground to our enemies. But the Bible says, encourage one another and build each other up. The Bible tells us that we're to love our enemies and do good to those that persecute us and treat us badly. We like to use our words for evil and tear down people and put them in their place. And instead of edifying, why in the world, wouldn't it be great if you and I just bailed off of the whole criticizing and, I mean, you know, coming down on our kids or our wives or our families, just bail on that and just say, I'm going to speak words of edification and build up my family. That's the thing. Let no corrupt communication, but, but, but edifying. That is, that is to minister grace to the hearers. You know, what we really need to do is pronounce blessings. I, I told you that you were all ministers. God is not, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, the Lord said. But not only that, you're priests and kings, according to 1 Peter 2, 9. 
We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So what then are we supposed to do? Listen to what, listen to what the priests were supposed to say to the people. And these are the Jews back in the old days that were chiding against Moses and murmuring about manna and worshiping idols and doing all kinds of bad, crazy stuff. There was plenty to criticize, plenty to come down on them, but here's what the Lord says. Here's what I want you to say to them. Number 6, 23 through 27, I'll read it to you. Speak unto Aaron and his sons, saying, on this wise shall you bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. See, this is an Old Testament story how the priests were supposed to bless the children of Israel. Now, you Bible students know these are pictures, illustrations of what we, a royal priesthood, you as a priest in your own home, are called to bless your families. Brother, you, you tell me I'm supposed to come, the Lord bless thee and keep thee and cause his face to shine upon thee. Is that what I'm supposed to do with my wife when I get home? Well, no, I mean, you can do that if you want. She might think you've lost it, but, um, but no. To, 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 you know, to pronounce blessing on your family and just and to speak that even to your kids. Say, kids, today at school, God bless you today. May he cause your heart to just be after him and not be pulled by the world. Just speak a word of blessing. Why in the world wouldn't you do that? Because it says, the thing about this, it's not just words. The Lord says, you bless them and then I will bless them. You bless them with your mouth, I will bless them miraculously. And that's what happens when we speak blessing into people's lives. And we have this privilege. What about that neighbor? You know, it's interesting. I was reading in uh, Genesis 27 the other day where uh, Jacob was like 130 years old. Remember, Jacob lived a really long time. And he walks into Pharaoh when Joseph pulled him over to Egypt. And, and it says, and Jacob walked in and blessed Pharaoh. Do you remember that? And then Pharaoh said, how old are you? He said, I'm 130 years old. And they've been hard and long, brutal years. Oh, and then Jacob left and he blessed Pharaoh on the way out. Why would Jacob bless Pharaoh? Pharaoh was not necessarily a good dude. But isn't it funny that even Jacob blessed Pharaoh? And, and I wonder if, if you started blessing people that are kind of a curse to you. What would happen if the person that drives you nuts at work, instead of just avoiding them or not speaking to them or saying stuff behind their back or um, talking meanly to their face, what would happen if you thought about it for 10 seconds and thought, I'm gonna try to look for an opportunity to speak a word of blessing into that person? And the reason I'm saying that is, well, Brett, I don't want them blessed. I want them cursed. That's why I cussed them out yesterday. But remember what I said? That which comes out of your mouth flows back to you. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And I believe there's real power in blessing even our enemies and how it kind of comes back to you as sweetness. And the Lord will bless you in spite of that dude at work. And, and, and man, you've got this opportunity and it's the power of the tongue that we haven't even tapped into. Um, that's the assignment for us this fall as men. 
And it's not just men that are married or, or whatever. There's all kinds of stuff here for even the single guys, man. You guys that don't have kids that are family, um, man, you have an opportunity to go out and speak blessing on people around you. What if your neighbor that drives you nuts, instead of just avoiding him and, you know, whatever, what if you just mentioned, man, I love what you guys did with your lawn. It looks awesome. I wish I, wished I had that skill with lawn. Brad, he's a total jerk. I don't want to give him one inch. But see, that's a, that's a word of cursing, but a word of blessing might just be the very thing that could bring that person, your neighbor, into a friendship or into maybe a, a conversation that might be productive about the Lord someday. That's the challenge, or you know, man talk. Instead of talking roughly and coarsely, wasting words, instead of you know, um, speaking against everybody and uh, wasting our time, what if we are presuming to know that we know something but we really don't? Instead say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be measured in my words. And I'm gonna use my mouth for powerful good instead of using my mouth for powerful evil. It's a big, it's a tall order. And James says, man, the tongue is an unruly evil that no one can tame. Um, but man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die trying. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do what the Bible tells me to do. And I hope that you guys will join me in that. Amen? Amen. Lord, we are challenged by your word constantly. Um, it's so easy for us to speak words that are vile or mean-spirited, coarse, jesting, or um, even critical and judgmental words. But Lord, I pray that as men we would take extra thought, even this week, um, to, to be good with our words. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for my brothers that are married here, that they would speak words of edification and, and comfort to build up their wives and to build up their children. May we take advantage of each moment around the dinner table or, or when we do family devotions to speak words of wisdom into our kids, into our homes. Lord, how I pray that our speech would be glorifying to you and honoring to you. Because like your word says, you're gonna hold us accountable for every word that we speak. So may we be glorifying to you and forgive us, Lord, where we've spoken wrongly. Would you heal the wounds that we've created and, and do a work in our lives and with our homes and our families. So give us wisdom, Lord. We pray this blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> well, speaking of blessing, may the Lord bless you guys and may he cause his face to shine. You know what that means, to shine upon you? It's like the Lord when a dad looks at his kid and smiles with joy. That's what it means when the Lord's countenance is shining upon you. It's like the Lord's looking at you as just going, that's my son right there. And uh, that, that's a blessing. And may the Lord's countenance shine upon you guys and be gracious to you. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next time. You're dismissed.